0: Um, so we're starting a new series called Let Me Pray About It, right? Let me pray about it. And uh, I think here's, here's the biggest challenge, I would say, um, for anybody um, that's teaching the Word or preparing a message. Okay, I would say this. It's it's challenging because there's a lot of barriers you got to break down. Sometimes you come up and people are like, "Man, listen, I've already heard it all. Like prayer, I've like I've like I've already heard a message about prayer." Um, so it it kind of makes things like make things hard. My only job as a teacher, I would say, is this. Um, I want to just make things plain, right? First Corinthians two says. And the Apostle Paul says, like, I didn't come to you with persuasive words or words of wisdom. I just came to know, resolving to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified, right? He wanted to make things plain. And I think that's our job as teachers of the the word, as ministers of the word. You know, like when I hang out with youth kids, like, I'm not trying to be cool, but I'm like, I want to make things plain. Right, like in kids' ministry, you guys get this, right? Like, don't make it complicated. Like, just make it plain. I think we need more, um, more pastors that would view it that way, right? That just, hey, I'm just trying to make it plain, not trying to be convincing of anything um, towards you. But I just want to make it plain, and but more importantly, I want to break down barriers. Because, man, I think we live in probably one of the most challenging times. Like, I pray for the job Pastor Justin has. I mean, it is so challenging. The job that every minister has. um, It's so challenging. There's so much barriers um, nowadays more than um, ever before, especially in the American church, to teach the gospel. There's more distractions than ever before. Um, there's, there's more, like, people are not easy to trust, like, or they, like, they have a lot of suspicions, right? So, I mean, people have, like, barriers up, like, I, I don't trust you, right? And I think especially, like, um, in our culture, it's just, like, we question a lot of things. We question everything, and there's some health to that. But I think when you're preaching the word, it, like, people just start questioning everything you say, Um, And so that is a barrier. There's also generational uh, gaps, right? I mean, um, most 16-year-olds would be like, mom, dad, you don't understand me, right? You don't get what I'm going through. Um, Or they would say that to any adult, like, you just don't get what I'm going through. So there's that barrier as well. That's why I love our youth and our young adult leaders so much because, I mean, um, they, do a lot, and they do a lot of work really trying to break down that gap, right? Like, they're committed to it. Like, they're saying, hey, like, I know you don't trust me right now, but I'm going to keep on coming every single week to try to earn your trust so I could, I could preach this thing to you. Because once we break down those barriers, like, it's worth it because this, man, this has the power to transform lives, has the power to change you inside and out, If you accept it. So, man, we want to see a generation of of, of people that are accepting of it so that it could change their lives. But it's hard. It's hard. But it matters, right? It matters. So today we're talking about prayer. If you would go to me to Luke chapter 18, as we get into it. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And if you don't have it, it should be up on screens. It says this. It says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but be his breast, saying, "God, have mercy on me, a sinner." I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I think prayer again is is, is another one of those things that it's a challenging thing to talk about. Because there's so much taboo, there's so much uh, suspicions, there's so much uh, weird stuff around prayer, right? Like, how do you really view prayer? I mean, most of you probably grew up um, going to uh, dreading going to the five-hour prayer meetings that your parents were going to take you to, right? Like, it's like everybody just falling down, like Holy Ghost rain down, and everybody just falling down. And you're like, like you remember that experience? You're like, oh, that's what prayer is. I don't want anything. Like, I don't want a part of it, right? Or, like, man, like, like, you know people that pray for, like, 10 hours, and you're like, I'm just not one of them. Like, God just hasn't gifted me that way, right? Like, probably 85 to 90% of this room would say that they operate in some low-level guilt, as in, like, I don't pray enough, I don't pray as much as I should, or I don't even pray at all. Prayer is just one of those topics in the Bible. Or, I mean, like, I grew up watching Medea, right? I grew up watching Medea. Now, if you guys know Medea, like, we have the video Medea prays, Medea prays. This is how Medea said her prayer. Next case City of Atlanta versus Mabel Simmons.
1: Hey, Corbin. Hey, Brown. If the Lord get me out of this, I'm going by the church. You better mean it, too. I'm going by the church, okay. You better mean it. I mean it. Hey, Jared. Oh, care, your hair is so pretty. Who doing your hair? Lord, how you doing? Mabel Simmons, you come before me more than you go to the doctor for a checkup. Listen, I've changed my life. You ain't got to say nothing. I am living for the Lord. I I am living for the Lord. I am living for the Lord. Hallelujah. I feel him down in my spirit. You know, as I think about the goodness of Jesus, And all that he has done for me. My soul cries out hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. You finish. She, she never told me how to do it. Would you teach me? Please? Show you how to pray? Yeah. Oh, child, I ain't talked to God since the last time I saw a cop in my rearview mirror. Whew. I guess I can try. I can try to pray. You, you know the number? The number? The what? The number. The number? The caller. They say Jesus on the main line, I don't know. <laughs> sit back, sit back. Okay. Bow your head. First
0: give an honor to God, to the head of my life. Um... Fuck... For- how you all would respond, right? Like, man, Like, what is prayer? Like, I know some people in my life that pray, right? Some prayer warriors, and then you have, like, me on the other side. And that's what most of us here would say. Like, prayer can be a confusing thing. Like, what really is prayer? So I think my main goal with today's message is to peel back the layers, uh, tell you what prayer is not, and make it plain, right? I want to simplify this as much as possible um, for you. And uh, like I said, again, if we're, to be honest here, most of us would operate in some low-level guilt about prayer. But I don't want to make you feel more guilty about your prayer life because that will not produce what God wants to produce in your life, which is freedom and conversation and relationship with him. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into it, right? So as we're studying this, this, this passage, if you guys will put it back in the screen um, in, um, in Luke chapter 18, we can see what prayer is not. So we got two guys in here, right? We have the Pharisee and the task collector. Man, the Pharisee, he operates, it's what you shouldn't do, right? I mean, this guy says a lot of eyes. first of all. He says, God, I thank you that I am, I am not like other people. So he starts looking at other people and say, these are the people I'm not like, but I'm doing a lot better than they are, right? He says, I fast twice a week, I tithe, and I do all these things. But this guy over there, man, he's got it all wrong. And then you have the, the tax collector who won't even look up to heaven and says, man, God, I need you. That's all he wanted to say, God, I need you. So you have two people, right? So one is the Pharisee and tax collector. And both, like they had some things in common. They both went up to the temple, went up to the same steps, both went to pray. Both were sinners, but one was an honest sinner and one was a dishonest sinner. And the Pharisee is the wrong way to pray. Like he had it all wrong. That was, that was full of pride. Like prayer isn't some form of competition about who's holier than whom. It's not about how many hours you pray. Uh, like that doesn't matter in the eyes of God. But the tax collector said he wouldn't even look up to heaven. But rather he beat on his chest. You know what that was? It was a sign of sorrow of saying, God, I am not even worthy to be here. God, I need you. Matter of fact, the Greek even says it, it says, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Like, so he was kind of talking similar to the apostle Paul who says, I am the chief sinner. Like, if there's a sinner I am, I'm the worst of them all. I'm not even, like, I'm not even worthy to be standing in front of you. God, I desperately need you so much in my life. And that was the right attitude. I think the third bracket, though, there's, there, there would be a third bracket here for sure. Because you got Pharisee, way far off, way too prideful. And then you have tax collector. I would say there's, there's a third bracket. Because most of us wouldn't say, like, I'm the Pharisee, right? Most people don't walk around saying, I'm better than you. I've got this all figured out, right? No, like, nobody really says that. But I would say there's someone in the third bracket, which might be even worse. It might be this. It's a little bit more apathy. Meaning that, like... I'm not this guy. I'm not prideful, but in the same token, like I don't like I don't really need God all that much. Here's what I mean. And you wouldn't say it's almost like a functional atheism uh, kind of mindset. It's like you wouldn't even like you wouldn't say that, man. Gosh, I'm better than these people. But you're also not as needy as a tax collector. It's kind of more like, man, listen, I've built a pretty good life for myself. You know, like I pay my bills. Got a good job, doing a good job with the family, everything's going all good. So, like, why do I really need to pray? Like, things are going pretty well. And it's not that you even said that. you just don't do it, you just don't pray. Because, like, there's not really much of a need that you see there. And I would say, man, that might be even worse than the Pharisee. Because it's, it's not admitting, it's not that far off, but it's just kind of acting like it. Like, do I really need God? I've built a lot of good things. And man, and, and, and most times we, we can act that way, can't we? And the problem with that, though, is that when we operate in that mindset, the only way, only way for us to operate in that mindset is for us to be so out of touch with the realities of the sin and brokenness in our lives and deem our sins as acceptable before God while elevating the sins of other people as unacceptable before God. Meaning this, like, I don't need all that much. Like, men, like addicts, like, they really need God. The tax collector really needs God. So I understand their humble attitude. Like, I understand their desperation, right? Like, most of us would say, like, we're not that desperate. Like, we're not that far off. And my goal to you today is to really, man, to point out that we are far more fragile than we think we are. We are. Like, I don't mean to sound morbid, like Happy New Year and, like, be depressing about it, right? I pray for your health and well-being. But, man, every single one of us could leave this room and receive a life-altering phone call. That will change the trajectory of our whole lives. We're in desperate need of God. Like you need God more than you think you do. And the reason we don't pray or run to God like the task collectors is because we think we have it under control. It's a false sense of security. The danger, and one pastor pointed this out to me says, Listen, I think the biggest thing you can do as a teacher of the word is expose the need for God. Because the danger in the, Amer- of the American church, is for us to build such good lives that we don't need God anymore. And that's dangerous. And I've got a friend who's in a recovery program for addicts. And, uh, like, I, man, I'll say this, his, like, his program is heavy. Like, it's got set boundaries, set times of prayer. Like, it's heavy, right? Accountability to the max. And oftentimes, like, I'll be like, wow, man, like, that's a lot that you do. Like, that's a lot of, like, restraints. Like, I'm I'm impressed. And his first response will be this. He'll be like, oh, yeah, like, people like me, like, we desperately need this. Like, Nate, like, like, you seem like you got it good, like, but people like me, we really need this. I mean, I get the heart of what he's saying, but I always take some beef with that, right? Like, I want to be careful because every single day I'm living in a prayer. Like, I desperately need God. I recognize that. You don't have to go to hell to find out the people that need God. It's right here in the church. We all need God desperately need God. We're living on a prayer. And you guys know the song Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. right? The characters were the center of it. Did a little bit of research on it. and I, I like what it was saying. And I want to share with you. It says Tommy and Gina are based on a few real life couples. One is a guy uh, from Bon Jovi's high school who gave up his realistic ambitions to become a professional baseball player rather to take care of his girlfriend who unexpectedly got pregnant. Then another co-writer, Desmond Child, based the lyrics partially on his own experiences as a New York taxi driver while his girlfriend was working in in a diner. And the last co-writer viewed the pair of characters at the center as being a representation of his own parents. Living on prayer is basically an expression that points to the idea of living by faith. Simply put, the person who is actually practicing such a lifestyle has nothing to rely on except his or her own prayers and such is the case with the characters. Um, From the onset, Tommy is depicted as an unemployed dock worker who is down on his luck. Sorry, I had to do that. Uh, um, It's always been my dream to to sing and stuff. (laughs) I couldn't do it. Um, That means he's having a hard time uh, earning enough to survive. Thus, he's supported by his partner, Gina, and she works at the diner all day in the name of supporting him. But the over-implication is that she's a low-paid worker, and they both are living on a prayer. So I, I hope, like, I've set the ground for you guys to hear that. Man, we, we, we all need God. Like, we're all living on a prayer day by day. Whether you know it or not, you're living on a prayer. And, uh, but here's the other thing, I think. And we're, so we're far more like the tax collector than we think we are. Like, don't see the tax collector in the story as this needy guy. Like, we all are the tax collector, right? Together we are. And But there's something special, though about seasons that make us realize this. Like I'm talking about seasons that make us realize our need. Like those seasons that really make you drop on your knees to get closer to God, right? And again, like I don't wish, I don't promote any hard season on anybody. I don't uh, wish ill on anybody. But there is something special about those seasons. If, if we do it right, that can awaken us to our need for God. And I think God will use those seasons to, to, to make that happen. And again, I love Madea. Madea had one of those seasons. Madea had one of those seasons. Uh, can we do we have the Madea Goes to Jail video? Madea Goes to Jail. <laughs> just love Medea, man. Next case. City of Atlanta versus Mabel Simmons. Hey, Corbin. Hey, bro.
1: If the Lord get me out of this, I'm going by the church. You better mean it, too. I'm going by the church. You okay. better mean it. I mean it. Hey, church. Oh, girl, your hair is so pretty. Who doing your hair? Lord, have mercy. how you doing? Mabel Simmons, you come before me more than you go to the doctor for a checkup. Listen, I've changed my life. You ain't got to say no. I am, living for, I I am living for the Lord. I am living for the Lord. I am living for the Lord. Hallelujah. S- I feel him down in my spirit. You know, as I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah,
0: thank God for saving me. You finish. Mm-hmm. She went to jail and and like listen, I'm getting my life together. And but here's the thing. I think sometimes we need those seasons. God uses those seasons in a way to get us closer to him. And there's there's a lot of seasons, a lot of moments in my life where I've been brought down to my knees. I've been humbled before God. And I thank God for those seasons. Tell, I'll tell you about two of them. One was a season, but the other one was just like a day. There was a day. A uh, few months back, uh, my wife and I decided to go to Pikes Peak. We decided to hike Pikes Peak. And for those of you who don't, who don't know Pikes Peak, there's an image of it right here behind us. It is the highest summit of the southern front range of the Rocky Mountains. Like, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's big, right? And uh, for our honeymoon, we went to Pikes Peak. We just, uh, we took a shuttle up there and drove up there, and then we took a picture up there. And then I posted on my social media, and cursing uh, uh, different people commented were like, hey, did you hike it? Did you hike it? I was like, no, we just drove up there. Uh, so, it, like, it really got to me, right? Like, I said, man, I really wanted to hike it now. Like, because people thought that I hiked it before, and they seemed impressed, so now we got to do it. So a few months back, we went, we drove, and we hiked Pikes Peak. Now, for those of you who've never done it, like, who never did it before, this is what it reads. It says, this is not simply a difficult hike. At these altitudes, you really need to know what you're doing. And uh, from Florida, like, Florida boy, never, like, yeah, exactly. So the combination of altitude sickness and mountain weather can be deadly, and every year, the peaks claims the lives of dozen or so climbers. Like, so, like, it's a crazy hike. Like, it took us about eight hours to get up there. Um, and, I mean, it was a crazy story. Like, getting up there was no joke. Like, it felt like we were rock climbing. Like, literally, as you're going up, you, like, do one wrong step, and you see the rocks falling down. And you're like, that could have been me, like, falling down like that. Like my wife was like, she was crying on the hike. Like we were both in desperation. We were just looking at each other. Like it wasn't a good experience. Like it was, it was probably the top two worst experience I've ever had in my life. Oh my gosh, that thing was hard. Like it was, it was so bad, it, like we we're exhausted. And we even have a video when we finally got up there that we took, uh, so check this out. And we did it, we're done.
1: We we're done, and then we made
0: it to the top of the mountain. I hate this. Thing. <laughs> and I cried. Take it <laughs> Like it was, it was hard. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Like it was a hard thing to do, and it was a crazy story because by the time we got up there, like uh, we didn't plan this very well either. Okay, so like. We were trying to get up there by 4 p.m. and catch a shuttle uh, on the way back down, but the problem was we didn't get up there till like 6 or like 5 or 6 p.m. So by the time we get up there, there's nobody on top of the mountain except for us, right? And the snow starts coming down. It is cold, right? So like both of us were the only ones on top of the mountain. We're not about to hike eight hours back down. Like that's not. In the, that's, we're gonna die if we did that. And we're stuck outside, right? And there's, there's a visitor center there, but there's nobody up there. And uh, Shelby, out of desperation, grabs a shovel and says, let's break in there. And I'm like, oh, I'm not that desperate, man. <laughs> like, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. But um, it, was, it was bad, so we ended up just, like, I'm running around uh, trying to find, like, some place to stay warm. We found an empty construction truck. We hop inside of it, um, and then, uh, she, like, my phone is dead. Her phone is at 2%, uh, but she finally gets a call to 911. To She's like, send the helicopters. My husband is dying. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, like, it was like, it was crazy. <laughs> and after that, we finally, like, an ambulance came up, a fire truck came up. Like, and, and the whole thing came up, then we drove down ambulance back. Like, it was, it was a crazy story, man. Uh, I'm crazy. And I was like, man, I want to do this again. Because it was, like, it was something about it was fun. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, I honestly walked away from that loving God so much more. Because, and not the, like, craziness that happened when we got up there. But really, as, as you're doing this hike, you realize that you're so small. Like, this big thing, this big mountains that you're walking through, it could kill me. Like, I am so small. But yet, I've got a personal connection with the person who created this whole thing. Like, it just, it makes you realize something so, like, God is so big. He's bigger than this mountain. Like, this mountain is way bigger than me, and God is bigger than this mountain. So I don't know what you're going through today. This might just be an encouragement for you that God is really bigger than what you're going through. And the other story was just a season. I won't go too much into details about it, but it was probably the end of 2015. Like, I was just going through a really rough time. Went through some betrayal and uh, just some uh, financial hardships there. Like, it was a really hard season, but really brought me to my knees. And for that season... Gosh, like, I really had an appreciation for my prayer life and my connection with God. Like, I really, and I thank God for that season. It really grew me a lot. Because for some of you guys, it's easy for you to identify with living on a prayer right now in your season that you're going through. It might be a tragedy that you just experienced. Like, you would say, Pastor Nate, like, this, this new year doesn't feel very new to me. I still got the same struggles, and I'm struggling. I am living on a prayer. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you. In Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, it's one of the craziest sentences of God in any religion ever utters. It says, "Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." So the God of the universe makes an invitation to who? It says, "Are you weary? Are you tired? Come, I'll give you rest. That's a crazy sentence. Because if you're thinking about a party that, you, that, that you're preparing, as, as you're making the list, here's who you don't invite, right? Sometimes you don't invite the depressed the, the, the person who's going to be moping around all night long. Like, be honest, right? Like the person who might have um, a comeback for everything that you're planning out, right? Like, we've, we've got ice cream cake. I'm lactose intolerant, Sorry. Right, like, like you don't invite the awkward person that's going to make everybody feel awkward because of their uh, their words that they say that they don't even notice that they're making people feel awkward, but yet God says, "Listen, are you tired? Are you depressed? Come. Are you socially dysfunctional? Come." He makes an invitation for everybody. Like no other religion does this. Only in Christ does He say. Man, I am accepting everybody, especially those of you who are hurting. Every other religion says go and fix yourself and come. But this says no. Come as you are. Come. It's a stunning invitation that the most awkward and broken of us are welcome. So if you're broken and willing to be honest about it, God hears your prayers. You know, honestly, a huge part of my faith comes from watching my mom pray remember when we first moved here from, from Haiti, uh, I was probably about, uh, I was 10, but then two years later, when I was 12 years old. And uh, my mom, I mean, like, as soon as we moved here, she got divorced. So she was about 40 years old. Um, I remember, so she's single mom, taking care of two kids, and uh, um, was putting herself through school, working odd jobs here and there. Doesn't speak the language, but is just faithful. I mean, so she was going through a hard time. But I remember I would go into the garage almost every single night and I'd just see her in her car blasting Christian music and just praying. And I remember like that really built up my faith as a child, just just watching that. Like, especially like single moms, like you got my heart. Like seriously. Because when you're broken and you realize your need for God, man, he hears you. He hears you. Psalm chapter 34, 18 says this. Brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 51:17 says this: My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken heart and contrite heart, you God will not despise. So if you're in the room and you're going through it, man, God is with you. And last verse I just want to share with you is this one: it's Proverbs 15:29. The Lord is far from the wicked. But he hears the prayer of the righteous. Now, many of us read this verse about praying and being righteous and kind of freak out about that, right? Like, man, I don't feel righteous. Like, this week wasn't really good. If you were counting the sins you did, you're like, I don't feel righteous to pray. Because sometimes it's just guilt, right? Like, we feel too guilty to come before God. We read verses like this, the righteous, God hears their prayers. We don't feel righteous. Man, Christian, if you're in the room, listen, I'm telling you this. What makes you righteous is your relationship with Christ, nothing else. He's not keeping track of the sins that you committed this week that will will make you unrighteous. There's no such thing. Your relationship with Christ makes you righteous. Thus, God hears your prayers.